few weeks ago, um, Brother David and Carrie Cuban and Brother Ed and I taped a program for TBN. It was an hour and a half interview program where um, Ed sang a couple of songs and one of the ladies in our choir sang and I interviewed uh, David and uh, Carrie and then I preached a message and uh, they showed it at different times but we didn't know what time but it was shown all over the southeast but uh, Mike Harrison put it on a CD it's an hour and a half it's a DVD a DVD which means you can watch it and uh, it'll be good it'll be real good I was the chalk show host, you know, and I thought about going commercial, but I decided not to. But anyway, but it was a, it's a great thing. It talks about the Lord, talks about our church, talks about our heart for people, and then talks about the Lordship of Christ. So you can, there are plenty of them at the back. They're only $2. You, you want to watch that. It, it'll be a great blessing, a uh, great blessing to you. I'm excited about our prayer warriors luncheon after the service. Uh, you'll go right after the service to the fellowship hall and eat. There is excellent food. And then we'll come back in here and meet and talk about uh, warriors on the wall and how important it is in the life of our church as we pray together. Let me remind you that this Friday night, the Good Friday, we will have communion from 6 to 7. And then at 7, we begin to have a prayer meeting. And we, you're welcome to come and just take communion with your family, and you're also welcome uh, to join us in, in, in the prayer meeting that we'll have. On Wednesday nights, we're having a good time. We're talking about this Wednesday about fasting and what part that is in the life of a Christian, and it, it'll be a great, great blessing to you. Let's bow our heads for just a moment. Father, open our eyes, open our ears, and let us hear what you're saying to us. As I preach the word of God, prepare our hearts to receive and to worship you with the Lord's Supper. Lord, we want, we want to really commune with you, and we long to sense your presence in each of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. It is very, very significant that Jesus said, as often as you eat this bread, unleavened bread, picture of the sinless life of Christ, and as long as you drink this wine, this fruit of the vine, you are remembering my death until I come. I love to remember uh, his teachings. I love to remember his miracles. I love to remember the way he loved people. But I tell you what, as significant that as, as, as that is, nothing compares to the cross. And that's why he said, don't you ever forget. Don't ever forget what I did for you. When I went to Calvary in your place. You know, this Friday is Good Friday. All over the world. All over the world. I mean, really, almost every tongue, tribe, and nation. They'll pause. And they'll think about the cross. 
It was a turning point of history. You got life before the cross, life after the cross. It was a, it, it was a center place of human history. And today we want to, uh, to think about that. You know, first of all, we need to realize what the cross saves us from. What does the cross save us from? And I'm talking about the death of Jesus. There's no power in the wood. It wasn't the wood. It was an instrument of death. So when you talk about the cross, you're talking about the substitutionary, a substitute. He took your place. You're talking about the sacrificial death of Jesus. That's what the cross is all about. So what did the cross save us from? And what does the cross save us to? You know, uh, we need to understand that the only thing that stands between us, that, between us and the judgment and wrath of God is the cross. You see, God is love and he loves unconditionally. But also God is wrath. He's wrath and he is the judge. He is the judge. And so the only thing that separates us from the wrath of God and the judgment of God is the death of Christ on the cross. You read in John 3, 16 and 17, these words. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Then in verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him, as you and me, might be saved. But then you go all the way down to verse 36, and then I want you to notice what it says. Now don't miss this. Who believes in the son of God has everlasting life. Well, amen. He who believes in the Son of God has everlasting life. And he who does not believe will not see life, but the wrath of God abides upon him. Oh, if you believe, you have everlasting life. <laughs> but if you don't believe, the wrath of God abides upon you. Over in the book of 1 Thessalonians, chapter 1, uh, look at what it says in verse 9. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you. They've told us how our coming to you with the gospel affected you. What manner our entry came to you? How you turn from God, turn to God from idols. Talking about the Thessalonican people. You turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. But oh, look at the next verse. And to wait for his son from heaven. He said, man, we came, we preached the gospel to you, and you turned from idols to serve the living God, and you're waiting for the son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, listen to this, even Jesus, who delivers us 
from the wrath to come. So the wrath of God is very real. In fact, if we don't believe, we abide under the wrath of God. And it said here that Jesus came and died, and when he comes to live in us, he delivers us from the wrath to come. The cross is the only thing that stands between us and the wrath of God and the judgment of God. You say, why is that, Brother Fred? Well, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. Death. The Bible says the soul that sins, it will die. And Jesus said to him, if you, you don't believe I'm in he, you will die. Talking to the scribes and Pharisees, you'll die in your sin. And so God is holy. And in order for us to be reconciled to God, God had to deal with our sin. In other words, if we, were, if we are in our sin, then we're separated from holy God. And so for us to be reconciled to the God that loves us, and he loves us with an everlasting, for us to be reconciled to God that loves us, something had to be done about our sin. Our sin had to be punished. And the wrath of God had to be poured out on our sin. So what did God do? God's plan was this. He sent his son Jesus into the world to seek and to save those that were lost. Jesus came on a mission, a mission to seek and to save those that were lost. Now, in order to seek and save those who were lost, Jesus, on the cross, had to take our judgment and had to take the wrath of God. The almost unbelievable thing about the cross is that there, God judged your sin in his son, Jesus Christ. That on the cross, God poured out his wrath, his wrath against sin because he's holy. You see, you've got to understand, God never stopped loving Adam and Eve. He, ne he never stopped loving us. But a holy God can never compromise with and partner with and overlook sin. In order for us to be reconciled to God, sin had to be punished and the wrath of God had to be satisfied because he's holy. So it was on the cross that Jesus took our judgment. He was judged for me and he was judged for you. He was our substitute. It was on the cross that the wrath of God was poured out on him. Now, the fact that he was punished for our sin, judged, and the fact that the wrath of God was poured out on him means that through his death, we can be reconciled to God. But you know, you've got to understand, Jesus was sent by the Father into the world to take our punishment, to take our judgment, and to endure his wrath. And I want you to understand that it was God's will. It was God's will 
that Jesus go to the cross. It was God's plan that Jesus go to the cross. You say, Brother Fred, there's such a mystery here. God is awesome, omnipotent God who spoke this world into being. But he created man in his own image so that man would have, could, could, could be a fellowship with God, not because he had to, but because he wanted to. God did not want to create a bunch of robots that had to do what God said. And so he created man with a free will, with a choice. And, you know, that, and God knew that man was going to sin. He knew that. But he wanted to fellowship with someone created in his image. And even knowing that man was going to sin, God still created him in his image. But then God had a plan from the beginning. How that when man sinned, his sin could be punished. And the wrath of God could be satisfied. And it was all in Jesus. It was all in the cross. And that is God's plan. It's all over the word of God. All over the word of God. But I want to tell you that Jesus knew he was going to do it. Look at Luke 18, 31. Look what Jesus said. It's on the screen. He took the 12 aside and said to them, Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem. And all things that are written, get this now, by the prophets, all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished. And then he describes what that is. He says, for he will be delivered to the Gentiles, will be mocked, insulted, and spit upon. He told him, he said, you got to understand, we're going to Jerusalem. They're going to mock me. They're going to spit in my face. They're going to pull out my beard. And he said, and they will scourge me. They're going to beat me within a stripe of killing me and then they're going to kill me. But on the third day, I'll rise again. He told them. But you know, they had a short memory. They, they seemed to forget that he said, now you've got to understand what I'm fixing to go through. But then they all scattered and were all afraid when Jesus went to the cross. So he knew exactly what he was going to do. But not only that, he willingly did that. You say, well, Jesus was forced to go to the cross. Absolutely not. It was the Father's will. It was the Father's plan. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he submitted to the, God, the Father's will. He submitted to the Father's plan. And I want you to listen to what he says in John 10, verse 17 and 18. He willingly took your judgment. He willingly took the wrath of God. That was intended for you. Listen to what he says. John 10, 17. Therefore my father loves me. Because I lay down my life. That I may take it again. And then he says it. No man. No one. Takes my life from me. Nobody's going to take my life from me. No human being could touch me. I, 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 I was the only one who did not deserve to die. I had never sinned. I was the lamb without spot and blemish. Death had no claim on me. None. Zero. So no man takes my life from me. I lay, but I lay it down of myself. He says, I have power to lay it down. I have power to go to the cross.
but I also have power to take it again. And so now as we look at what the cross saves us from, we've got to understand that it saves us from the judgment and the wrath of holy God. That's what it saves us from. I should have been judged. And the wrath of God should have been poured out on me. But the, no, God said, no, I love you. I'm going, I want to redeem you from your sin. I want to forgive you. I want a relationship with you. I want to be reconciled to you. So my plan is that my son will come to earth, born of a virgin, live a sinless life, and at 33 years of age, willingly and deliberately go to the cross. It was my will. And that there he would take your judgment and your wrath so that you could be forgiven and so that you could be my child and so you could live a meaningful life on earth and eternal life forever. Well, you know, you know when Jesus took our wrath, took our punishment on the cross, that's when he took it. And you know, I heard this a few years ago and it, I've never gotten over this. Do you realize that five things that happened when Jesus was on the cross is a picture of hell. Now the word hell is used in the Bible 13 times. Now there's another word for Hades. Hades is the place of the dead. Gehenna is the Greek word interpreted hell. Jesus used the word Gehenna 13 times. And there he was talking about the Valley of Hinnon where all the dead bodies of the beast and all the bodies of the dead criminals were piled in a pile and they were burned. And the smoke and the smell was constantly going up from the valley of Hinnon. And from that came the Greek word Gehenna, which means hell. And so what happened was that Jesus Christ on the cross took the wrath and judgment of God. He took our hell. Oh, he took that. In fact, you know, uh, he said in Matthew uh, 10, I think it was 28, he said, fear not, yeah, Matthew 10, 28, fear not him who can kill the body and soul. Fear him who can destroy the body and the soul in hell. Jesus said, don't you be afraid of what any physical human being can do to you. But you do need to fear the one who can destroy your body and soul in Gehenna. You know, so we got to understand, as far beyond human understanding it is, that in the God, Father's redemptive plan, Jesus would take our wrath and Jesus would take our judgment so that we would not have to experience the wrath of God and so that we not have to experience the judgment of God. Isaiah said in verse 50, chapter 53, that it pleased the Lord to bruise him. It pleased the Father that he could offer his son. Let, let me read what it says. It says in Isaiah 53.10, now listen to this, Isaiah 53.10, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. 
He has put him to grief when he makes his soul an offering for sin. I said, man, God, in your plan, uh, Jesus, who is the son of man, perfect humanity, and Jesus, who is the son of God, perfect deity, you had existed together as one, the one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and these three are one. You'd existed from eternity without beginning and without ending, but in your plan at, at a time and the fullness of time, Jesus was going to leave heaven and going to come to earth, and there he was going to go to the cross and take your judgment and your wrath for our sin so that we, your creation, could be restored to you. Now, that's amazing, and that's love beyond my understanding. The Bible says in, in John, herein is love, not that we loved God, but that God loved us and gave his son to be the substitute for our sin. You say, well, Brother Fred, how did Jesus take our hell? How did he take our judgment? How did he take our wrath? There are five pictures on the cross. The first one is this. According to what Jesus experienced on the cross, hell is a place of separation, eternal separation from our loved ones. In other words, if you have a loved one who dies and goes to heaven, and you die without Christ and go to hell, then you're forever separated from your loved one. And you know that picture is found over in uh, John's Gospel, in chapter 19, verse 27, I want you to listen. You, you know, you just say this, and well, there's no big deal. But oh, yeah, I want you to notice in, in John 19, uh, verse 27, what Jesus says. All right? He says here in John 19, 27. All right, go back to verse 25. It says, Now there stood by the cross, of Jesus, his, mo uh, his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. So here's Mary, Jesus' mother, the wife of Clopas, and then Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, John, standing by, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And then he says to John, then he said to the disciple in verse 27, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. You know what Jesus was saying? Mary, I'm fixing to go somewhere you can't go. I'm fixing to experience something you can't see. From this time forth, there's going to be a separation from us. But I'm just going to want you to know, I'm saying to you, John's going to be your, your son, and John, Mary's going to be your mother. And that to me is a picture. Of course, we know that Mary's in heaven, but that's to me a picture that Jesus was separated from his loved one for a while so that we would never have to be separated from our loved one. You know, that's what hell is. You're eternally separated from loved ones. And it would be so sad to know that 
hey, I went to heaven. But I don't believe my brother will be there. Hell is, Jesus took the punishment, the wrath, so we would never have to be separated from our loved ones. But then there's another place in verse 19, chapter, chapter 19, verse 28. You know what Jesus did? He's taking the wrath of God. He's taking the judgment of God. It's called hell. He said, you don't want to be separated from your loved ones. I'll be separated from my mother, so you won't have to be. But then he said, it's amazing. He cried out in the next verse, I thirst. Look at verse 28. And Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. They, they say that when a person was hanging on the cross, that his body would be dehydrated. And that the, probably the, one of the greatest agonies of being on the cross was, being, was just thirst. It had to be. Why would Jesus cry out, I thirst? Why would he do that? The reason he did that was that there he was, enduring the judgment of God, taking the wrath of God, taking our hell so we would never have to go to hell. And a part of the wrath of God was Jesus knew thirst beyond anything you and I would ever know. I've been thirsty, but I, not like some people, but I guarantee you, Jesus was experiencing a thirst that was beyond, and it was a part of the judgment of God. And Jesus was thirsty, so we'd not ha we would not have to spend eternity in hell where we would be forever thirsty. You see, he took our punishment. He took our wrath. The third thing I see is over in, in Matthew 27, the third picture of the wrath of God, separated from his mother, a thirst that was unquenchable. What a picture of hell. But then in Matthew 27, verse 34, listen to what it says. You know, it's very interesting. Look at verse 38 of Matthew 27. Now here's Jesus on the cross. The wrath of God is being poured out on him. The judgment of God is being poured out on him. He's judging our sin in his son. And it says in verse 38, Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right hand and another on the left. And then you go down to verse 44 of Matthew 27, and it says, Even the robbers who were crucified with him reviled him with the same thing. Now, there's a picture there. Hell is not only a place where you're separated from loved ones for eternity if you're lost. Hell is not only a place where there's unending thirst. But you know, hell is a place where you spend eternity with vile and wicked people. Jesus died between two criminals. And it says here that they reviled him. You know, the very interesting thing is this. On this earth, you can choose your companions. On this earth, you can choose who you fellowship with. On this earth, you can choose who you stay with. But you know, 
Jesus died between the wicked so that we'd never have to spend eternity with the wicked. And one of the tragic things about hell is it's a place where you spend eternity with vile and wicked people. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what would it be for eternity with all the people who died and rejected Christ? You see, the wrath of God was taken by Jesus on the cross. But you know, another thing that I notice, uh, if you look at Matthew 27, verse 45, you know what it says? It says, from the, from the sixth hour to the ninth hour, there was darkness over the land. You know what? Hell is not only a place where you're separated from your loved ones. It, 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 it is not only a place of unending thirst. It is not only a place where you spend eternity with vile and wicked people, but hell is a place of eternal darkness. And from the ninth hour, the middle of the day, there was darkness over the land. It says in the book of Jude, and they were cast into outer darkness. You know, it's one thing for it to be dark, but it's another thing for it to be dark forever. But that is exactly. You see, I see in, this, in the cross, Jesus experiencing the wrath of God and the judgment of God. And he's got your name on his heart. He's doing it for you and he's doing it for me. He's experiencing our hell. So we'll never have to go to hell. And he's experiencing darkness so that we'll never have to spend eternity in the darkness. We understand that Jesus did all of this for us because the Father wanted us to be one with him and he could not do that because he was holy unless our sin was punished. But you know, the last thing is perhaps the worst. If you will look in verse 40, uh, 46, listen to what Jesus said. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Hell is a God forsaken place. People say today, well, I don't want anything to do with God. I'm not interested in God. I don't want God to have any part of my life. Well, if you die without Christ, you don't have to worry about that because I imagine people will cry in hell, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Hell is a God forsaken place. But wait a minute. You say, well, brother Fred, that's bad news. That picture of hell. Yeah, but it's good news. It's good news because Jesus took all of that. He was separated, so we'd never have to be separated. He was thirsty, so we'd never have to be thirsty. He, he died between the wicked, so we'd never have to spend eternity with the wicked. Jesus knew what it was to be there in the pitch darkness, bearing our sin, so that we would never have to be in the darkness. And he was forsaken by God, so we would never have to be forsaken by God. And that's the glory of the cross. That's the glory of the cross. 
that everything that was needed for us to be forgiven and to be cleansed and to be free from the judgment and wrath of God was accomplished by the Son of God. But you know, if you don't receive that sacrifice, if you don't accept that sacrifice, if you don't receive Christ and what he's done for you on the cross, there's no other sacrifice. You say, no, Brother Fred, I'm going to depend on the church. The church didn't bear your judgment and didn't bear your wrath. But you don't understand, Brother Fred. I'm going to try to be the best person I can. Hey, listen. Your good works would never take care of the judgment and the wrath of God. You see, there's no other sacrifice. There's no other one. And, 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 and see, most of the religions in the world are religions based on works. They're based on works. I'm going to work my way to where I'll be acceptable by God. Well, listen, good works could never pay the price for your sin. Good works could never pay the penalty for your sin. Good works could never take the wrath of God for your sin. And that's the tragedy. You see, there's no other sacrifice. It's only through the cross that we can be forgiven. It's only through the cross that we can be reconciled to God. It's only through the cross that we will escape the damnation of hell. Well, the Bible warns us that we better not refuse this sacrifice. I've often wondered about these verses, but then when I saw them as they really, really were, in Hebrews chapter 10, I want you to listen, and it says, there's no other sacrifice except the cross. In Hebrews, the 10th chapter, verse 12, it's talking about the, the truth, and that's going to be important in a minute when I read the rest of these verses. But this is the truth, Hebrews 10, 12. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sin forever, sat down at the right hand of God. It was finished. Jesus, on the cross, offered one sacrifice for sin forever, and he sat down because it was finished. There would be no more sacrifice. Verse 14. By one offering, himself, by one offering on the cross, he has perfected forever. Forever, forever, those who are being sanctified. Okay? That's the truth. But look at verse 26. This is a disturbing verses. If we willfully go on sinning after we receive the knowledge of the truth. What's the truth? Jesus offered one sacrifice for sin forever. By one offering, he has perfected forever those who come to him and trust him. But it says here, if you willfully go on sinning, after you know the knowledge of the truth, after you know Jesus died for you, after you know Jesus took your wrath and took your judgment and took your help, he said, if you go on sinning after you receive the knowledge of the truth, there's no longer remains a sacrifice because you've rejected the one that would set you free and would forgive you. He said, if you go, after you know about the cross, if you just say, I don't care, I'm going to go right on living my life. I'm going to go right on sinning. He said, there'll be no more sacrifice. There's no more sacrifice because you've rejected the only sacrifice. But what, 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 what is ahead of you if you reject the cross and Christ's death for you? What's ahead of you? Look at what it says in verse 27. A certain 
fearful expectation of judgment. Jesus made the sacrifice for you, but you reject it and you choose to willfully go on living in sin and living for yourself, then there's no more sacrifice. And it says there's only a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour his adversaries. Anyone who rejected Moses' law died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Listen to this. Of how much greater punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who trampled the Son of God under his feet, counted the blood that he shed on the cross, the blood of the covenant, which was sanctified a common thing and insulted the spirit of grace. God came to you with grace. He said, oh, I loved you so much that my son Jesus came and he died on your place. He took your hell. He took your judgment. He made the perfect sacrifice for your sin. Now, if you'll repent of your sin and, and receive my son as your savior and Lord, he said, that sacrifice restores you to fellowship with me. But if you reject that sacrifice, it's just like you trample under your feet the Son of God and you count his blood as an unholy thing and you just insult the grace of God. Woo. It's serious business. Serious business. I don't want to trample Jesus under my feet. You know, when we used to have Golgotha, I would come up after the, uh, the scene where Jesus was crucified. And there would be, wasn't real blood, but just looked like it. And I'd be standing up there. And I'd look down and I'd be walking on what was used to partake the blood of Christ. I said, wow. You don't want to trample underfoot the Son of God and count his blood as an unholy thing and just be insult God's grace by refusing it. You see, what the cross saves us from is the judgment of God and from the wrath of God. And it's all been done by Jesus and everything you need to be saved and everything you need to stay saved, and everything you need to live an abundant life, and everything you need to be a child of God was accomplished on the cross, and God declared it as accepted. God declared it as accepted when on the third day he rose Jesus from the dead, and it says in Romans chapter 1, and declared to be the Son of God with power over death, over the grave, over sin, over the world, the flesh, and the devil, and declared to be the Son of God with power by his resurrection from the dead. I love what we sang, amazing love. How can it be that you, my king, would die for me? Now, so the cross saves us from our sin, from our guilt, from our shame, from the wrath of God, and from the judgment of God. But it saves us to an abundant life. It saves us to an abundant life. <laughs> God takes us out of our sin, 
reconciles us to himself when we repent of our sin. The Bible says repent and be converted and you'll have times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. I love that. In Acts chapter 3, he says repent of your sins and be converted. Let Christ change your life and you'll see you'll have times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. And so man, we're saved from and we're saved to grace and mercy and forgiveness, shame and guilt. We're saved to the presence of Jesus in our life. And we go from death to life. We go from existing to abundant life. The cross saves us from, but it saves us to a life in Jesus Christ. And he said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly right now. You see, in Jesus, we have abundant life now. Well, what is that? Well, I'm forgiven. The guilt and the shame is gone. And I'm accepted by God. I've been reconciled to God. And Christ has come to live in me. And now I can live a righteous life and a holy life by the presence of Jesus in me. I don't have to be overcome by the world, the flesh, and the devil. I don't have to live there anymore. Jesus has changed me. And now I'm a new creation in Christ. And I can live a righteous life and a godly life and a holy life and a life of love, joy, and peace. Because Jesus made it possible when he died and rose again from the dead. Glory to God. We're saved from, but we're saved to. A wonderful, we're one with the Father. Christ lives in us. He is our life. We're not afraid to live, and we're not afraid to die. Oh, miss, listen. Good news. Good news. Good news. He that believes on the Son has everlasting life. But if you not do not believe, the wrath of God abides on you but I love Thessalonians where it said you turn from idols to serve the living God and to wait for Jesus from heaven who saved you from the wrath of God so no wonder it's a holy time it is a holy time when we come to the table and we take in our hands a small wafer of unleavened bread and a small cup of the fruit of the vine. Jesus said, you know, that reminds you of my body, which was broken for you. Don't you ever forget what I did for you on the cross. Don't you ever, ever get over what I did for you when I died for you. That's where your life is. And then you take the fruit of the vine. And he said, you know, what I did for you came at a great price. It cost me my life. This is my precious blood. The blood of the new covenant where I become your father. And you become my children. And I live in you. And you live in me. And so, man, this is, this is holy. It is holy. It is celebrating the liberty and the life that we have in Jesus. And so we come to this today as we go into the week that moves toward Good Friday and then the glorious resurrection. We come today as I trust people 
who are trusting Jesus. You've received the sacrifice. You've accepted Jesus' death for you. You've repented of your sins. And Christ has come to live in you. And you know that you're a child of God. And now you know that nothing can ever separate you from him. You are his forever. And today you say, Lord, I realize, I just thank you. I thank you for the cross. I thank you for what you did for me.